Welcome to Shelter Cove Online. We are so glad that you're joining us today for this sermon. We hope and pray that this message encourages you, that you learn something, that you enjoy it. But more than that, we just pray that God would move in your life, that he would reveal some more of himself to you today. If you would like to respond to this message in any way, you can contact us at sheltercovelive.com or send us a text message at 209-340-3115. Have an amazing rest of your day. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is David, and that's a missed cue from my friend Nathaniel. He got trapped in the snow and uh, couldn't make it this morning. So instead of the dynamic duo of Cove students, you get to hang out just with me. I'm sorry about that, but uh, I'm excited to be sharing with you guys today. I love uh, any opportunity that I get to come up here and bring the word with you guys and um, Uh, Just in the season in particular, as we celebrated Christmas just yesterday, it makes me think of when I was six years old, and uh, we went to a family friend's house, and I got this G.I. Joe set, and it was two helicopters, and I I had tons of G.I. Joes. I mean, I would would stage these massive wars, and they would fight, and it was just so beautiful. I loved it. It was so much fun. But I get this this helicopter, and it had, like, this cockpit that opens. You put your G.I. Joe guys in there, and then some bombs underneath that you, like, you lift this little flap and they fall. They were pretend bombs, not real. Um, But it it was just so exciting. I remember as a six-year-old, I was just like, I love this. I love this. And and I said out loud, I said, is that all? Um, Not really necessarily thinking, being selfish and wanting more, but just like in an innocent way, like, is there more? Like, I, I want more. And I remember kind of thinking that maybe there was more, but there wasn't. And I was very grateful for what I had. But, um, the reality of the situation didn't quite meet my expectations. And because of that, I got a little bit disappointed. And I think we can all fall into that trap, especially around Christmas, right? We can expect it to be great because of all the gifts that we're going to receive or because who's going to be at what party. Um, But when we put our uh, hope and and expectations in the wrong things at Christmas, um, what ends up happening uh, every Christmas Eve, uh, Christmas night, Christmas evening, is what I was trying to say, uh, we sit down on the couch and we kind of think, ah, Was that it? Was that all? And we miss it because our expectations for where our joy is coming from is in the wrong place. And this is nothing new in history, right? The Israelites had their own expectations as well. If we look back at that day that our Messiah was born, uh, the Israelites, they were looking for a king. They were expecting someone to come in and, and establish Israel as a nation again, to kick out the Roman authority and, and say, yes, this is who we are. And this, they were going to save them from the physical oppression that they were under. Uh, and we know that that isn't exactly the way that things played out. Um, they, they, uh, we know that that didn't happen. And the reality of their situation um, did not really mix with what they had in mind or what they were expecting was going to happen. And we experience that today, right? If our expectations don't meet our reality, then if it's like, I remember as a kid, I would go to Blockbuster Video and rent video games that I didn't have at my house. I remember finding this game that I was like, yes, I love it. I want to play this game. I rent the game. I bring it home. I put it in the console and it didn't work. And all this excitement of like, yes, I'm going to play this game. And then all of a sudden, oh man, 
can't do that. Um, today, that, that doesn't exist anymore. But um, it's a weird thing where, where if, if your expectations in reality just barely miss, there's some room for disappointment. If your expectations are here but reality is somewhere in the middle, I think that leaves some room for discouragement. We can be discouraged, and then discouraged kind of seeps into other parts of our lives as well. And then lastly, if our expectations are here and reality is down here, that could make way for depression. And, and wherever you are on that spectrum of disappointed, discouraged, or depressed, uh, we end up being derailed by these wrong expectations of what's supposed to happen. And so the question that we need to ask is, how do we avoid being derailed by wrong expectations? And um, to quote MJ from the new Spider-Man movie, expect disappointment, and that way you'll never be disappointed. And no, that's bad advice. That's not good advice. That, that's not a good thing, right? We don't want to expect disappointment. Um, so how do we avoid being derailed by wrong expectations? I think there's two people that we'll talk about today that give us two keys on, on teaching us how to wait on the Lord and not get derailed. So we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 2 today, where we find these two people in Scripture. So if you guys want to turn there and stand with me as we read God's Word together. Uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and it goes like this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit to the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory to the people of Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we dive into what your word says about where we should place our expectations, God, would you um, begin to work in our hearts, challenge us in the areas where we have misplaced expectations, and God, comfort us and restore us in areas where you are promising us these things, God. Lord, we love you and we pray these things all in your name. Amen. Guys can be seated. So... Let's jump into it. The first key that we see from this story is godly character. And that's shown, that's shown to us by Simeon. Simeon displays godly character. If you want to avoid being derailed by wrong expectations, godly character is a great place to start. In every single verse that we read of Simeon, it says some amazing things about this man. Right In verse 25, um, it talks about how he was righteous and devout. Um, something that I've noticed about Scripture over the years, though, is that it doesn't do that very often. There, there are a lot of times in Scripture, actually most of the time in Scripture, when it's talking, uh, it, it goes out of its way to, to just mar the reputation of the people that are in the Bible. Look at like Abraham and Jacob and uh, Isaac, actually really any of the patriarchs. Look at uh, King David or Solomon. Look at Peter. Like over and over and over again, you see the Bible just really showing us, shining a light on, on the worst and the worst of people. And uh, which is 
is encouraging to me because that means if God could use them, I know that he can use me as well. And, and it could be encouraging for you as well, right? But that wasn't the case for this story. Everything that it says about Simeon was great. It calls him righteous and devout in verse 25. Uh, righteous, that's a word that we see all throughout scriptures and it speaks to one's standing with God, right? Abraham, he had faith. Abraham had faith and it was credited to him as righteousness. It was his faith that gave him righteousness. Uh, righteousness is never gained by humans' actions. There is nothing that you and I can do to be righteous in the eyes of a holy and just God. Righteousness um, refers to your position. Righteousness is always granted to us by the creator of the world because of our faith in him. That's why we are righteous. We are righteous because of our faith has nothing to do with what we have done. It is about our faith in Jesus alone. Um, and righteousness refers to your position. That means it is there. It's established. It's your standing with God. Um, the word devote also. Devout, sorry. Devout is another word that we see in Scripture. And that's another word that Simeon is described as. Um, we see this one a lot. And, and it always refers to how closely people followed the, lo the law. There's a guy named Ananias who went to Saul after Saul had been blinded uh, on the road to Damascus. And Ananias went to Saul to pray for him. And um, Ananias was described as someone who was devout. Devout has Latin roots in, in the words devoted or devote. And it essentially it means that one is so committed and so bought into what they're about that it affects every aspect of one's life. So if righteousness refers to your position then devout refers to your practice. Devout refers to what you are doing about your position. So Simeon, his position before the Lord was secure because of his faith in God, and his practice, it honored the law, and because those two things worked in unity, he was able to receive the promise that the Holy Spirit had given him. And the Holy Spirit played a huge role in his life as well. So we have that he was righteous, that he was devout. And then the third thing is that he was spirit-filled. He was spirit-filled. Um, if, you, if, if you look with me in 26, it says, And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't see death. And then in 27, uh, And he came in the Spirit to the temple where his parents brought in the child Jesus. So it's saying that he was spirit-filled. And any time before the day of Pentecost, which is after Jesus ascended and when the Holy Spirit came down on people, any time before the day of Pentecost, if, if you see in Scripture that someone was filled with the Spirit, take note of that, because that's serious. That is, in, that is not very common, and, and it means that God was using him to do something amazing. And in this case, it was prophesy that Christ was the Messiah, that Jesus Jesus was the Messiah. So Simeon being filled by the Spirit, was, it was special, but also we see that he has no special rank or prestige. There was no, like it doesn't say he was a priest, it doesn't say he was a prophet, um, he just is a man. He's just a man. And, and yet, in that ordinary, plain old person, God gave his Spirit. That's a really beautiful thing. And um, what, what I see from this is this character trait of Simeon, of him being spirit-filled, it reveals a really cool point, is that people filled with the Spirit see more clearly what God is doing. 
right? I, I bought a TV a little while ago. I, I, had a, I was sitting down on my couch and, and looking at the screens and playing video games. And I was looking at the words. And I remember, like, what does that say? Like, I couldn't, I, I couldn't read the words that were on the screen anymore. And I'm like, oh, something's not right with my vision. So obviously I went and I bought a bigger TV, and um, that, that solved the problem. I can see now, so uh, the issue's no longer there. Um, no, it's, it's, I, I can see the TV, but I also need to get my vision checked because I can't really see, um, and that's 2022. Here we go. Um, so, <laughs> but what that showed me is this, is, is that I think that this principle applies in my spiritual life as well. Right, Because when I'm spirit-filled, it's like I have glasses on. And I can see everything very, very clearly. I can see what God is doing more clearly. I can walk with him better. I can speak with him better. I can hear from him and understand what he's doing in my life better than when I'm not spirit-filled. And when I'm not spirit-filled, it's not like I'm totally blind. Right? I'm still saved. I'm still, um, I'm still walking with Jesus. But I'm just not, I'm just missing out on all, on, on, I'm missing out on some of the good that God is doing. And Simeon didn't miss out on the coming Messiah because he was seeing clearly, because he was spirit-filled. People filled with the Spirit see more clearly what God is doing. So first we have godly character, and that includes righteousness, devout, spirit-filled. And then the next Scripture introduces us to another person in the story named Anna. And Anna, she gives us our second key. Anna gives us our second key, um, which is godly routines. Godly character is our first key. Godly routines is our second key. Um, And as we look at her story, it reads in, in verse 36 and 38, through 38, it says this, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and and, um, worshiping with fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. What strikes me about her is not her character, although I'm sure it was great like Simeon's, but it's the way that she spent her time, her routines. So from Simeon, we get this passive character that came out of him because it was granted upon him from God. And from Anna, we get active routines. Um, And from Scripture, we see two different routines that she displayed. Um, First, she abided with God. She abided with God. Look at verse 37. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple. Um, This lady was a lady of dedication. It was almost like after her husband passed away, she committed to the Lord being her husband. And the word, uh, she, it says that she did not depart from the temple. Scholars, they aren't really sure if that means she literally lived there or if she worked there or what. But, uh, but what struck Luke about her story when she was writing was that she was dedicated to abiding with God. And, and we chose that word uh, abiding deliberately because it has such a rich depth to it when you study the Bible. It literally means to live with. It literally means to live with. But Jesus expanded that definition. He said that I am the vine and you are the branches. That, that without constant connection to Jesus, that we will not be able to do anything. With him, we bear much fruit. 
but apart from him, we bear nothing. Anna, she took this very seriously, right? Every day, she made it a priority to spend, with, spend time with God, literally abiding with him in the temple. And I wonder what our church would look like if we too lived like Anna, and if we really took the words of Jesus to heart in John 15, there, where when we abide with him, that we can do much, and that apart from him, we can do nothing, so not only did Anna abide with the Lord, she also worshipped sacrificially. Verse 37b says she didn't depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer day and night. She worshipped sacrificially. You see, she, she counted the cost. She knew what it was going to take to follow Jesus. She, she experienced what it was like to, to be so close to God, to, to hear his voice, to listen and obey the creator of the universe. And for her, it was worth it. It was worth it. She said, you know what? I've done this. I know who God is, and, I, and, and he is worth it. Romans 12, 1, it calls us to offer our lives as a living sacrifice, laying down every part of our lives, knowing that no matter what we lay down, Jesus is better. You see, he is better than our plans. He is better than our desires. He is better than the things that we think that we need. He is better than anything that we can ask, think, or imagine. Jesus is better than any of those things. One of my favorite songs right now is, is You Keep Getting Better by Maverick City Music. I, I really, really love that song. But at first, when I first read that title, I was like, mm, no, he doesn't keep getting better. He is who he is. He doesn't get better. His, his character never changes. And then as I listened to the song, I realized that the song wasn't about God getting better than he already is because he always stays the same. What I realized it was about, it, it was about as we draw near to him, we begin to see God in new ways. And our eyes are open to God through new revelations, through his word that reveal more and more about God's character. And we see him more fully, more completely completely more clearly than we did before. And when we see God more clearly, we, we see the beauty, we see the amazing, we see the goodness from him. And, and when we do that, when we realize that he is better, when we see those things, then it doesn't matter what it is, we can take that thing and we can lay it down at his feet because he is better than that thing. Your godly routines will drive your godly character. Oh, I want you to get this. You're, the routines that you have now are going to lead to the type of person you are later. So if you want to be someone with godly character, then you need to develop the godly routines now. And maybe you're doing okay on the outside and you're doing all right, but your routines are, are, are kind of uh, little wishy-washy. Friends, it's dangerous ground to be on. When you establish yourself with godly routines, then your godly character just comes naturally as the Holy Spirit begins to work in you. Now, I want to pause for just a second and, and say this, because as, as I was writing this with Nathaniel and, and as we were um, talking about it, I just felt like if I didn't include this, it would be, um, it would be a little bit empty. So, um, I, I, and something that, that we're talking about wrong expectations, but I want to pause just for a second and talk about holy expectations. Um, is what I call holy expectations. So my wife and I, um, we, we just lost our sixth baby to miscarriage back in November. And, and I was expecting 
that this Christmas season was going to look differently than it did, right? I was expecting my wife to be pregnant. I was expecting to have that joy. And, and I, was, I was thinking about this sermon and my situation and, and this. And what I realized is it's not wrong for me to expect that. And, and I look at you guys, and you guys have lost people too. And, and it's not what you expected, it's not what you wanted. And, and those expectations of, of not having those people, that's, they're not wrong. They're, they're not ungodly expectations. They're holy expectations. They're good expectations. They've just been missed. It just didn't, the reality of the situation didn't quite live up to what you had hoped. And, and if we're going to walk through that, that's going to take a whole another sermon, maybe series, probably better yet, let's go get coffee and talk about it. But um, instead, um, what I would say it, for now is this, is that if, if I didn't have the godly routines that I have that developed my godly character as a foundation under me when my world was swept out under my feet, I, I wouldn't have made it. So, so if you're dealing with these un, this, this holy missed expectations, I want to say as you develop your routines and as you develop your character, the Lord's going to work and he's going to build under your feet a solid foundation. And it might not feel like it right now, and I get it, but I promise it's happening and he's moving. Your godly character and your godly routines will drive your expectations. All right, David. Godly character, godly routines, got it. What does it mean to have godly expectations? What do those look like? I'm glad that you asked. Here's three traits. Three traits of godly expectations that we see from Simeon and Anna. First of all, godly expectations influence the way that we live. They influence the way that we live. Uh, In verse 28, it says that he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, and then he went into his blessing. But... I, I was fascinated by this, and Pastor Scott always looks at the Greek words, so I figured I would try it too. And uh, when it says he took him up, um, I, I, I was fascinated by that, so I looked into it. And the word took him up, it, it means three different things. First of all, it means to receive an object, like, like you're getting the handoff, but a, a baby. Um, uh, he receives the objects. The next thing that it means is he welcomes him home, welcomes him as a guest. Um, so it goes from here is like receiving the baby to like, what am I doing with this? And then to like here, like how you hold babies. Um, he receives an object, he welcomes a guest, but then the third definition just blew my mind for this word. It means believe as true. So, so Simeon, when he received this baby and he welcomed him into his arms and he looked at the eyes of the Messiah, he believed and knew that that was true. He, he believed as he held him that he realized that this is thousands of years of God's faithfulness manifested in his hands. Like this is um, the, the, the promise that God gave to Eve in the garden, that he gave to Abraham and to Judah and to King David. This is now he is holding the Messiah. That is beautiful. That is amazing. And he believed it to be true. Something about the Hebrew word, though, is that you cannot divorce belief from action. As you keep going with that definition, it says, come to believe something and so act upon it. Like, you you had to, if you believed that this is the Messiah, if you believed that Christ is the one who came to deliver us from the oppression of sin and slavery, then 
If we believe that, then, then you act as if that were true. You live your life as if that were true. You cannot divorce those things from one another. They, they are stuck. If you believe something, you act on it. Um, that may have been something that we lost somewhere between the Hebrew language and the English language. I think sometimes we can just get it here, but not quite go. Um, so it influences the way that we live. Godly expectations influence the way we live. The next trait of godly expectations is that they are based on the word of God. Um, they're based on the word of God. If we're going to emulate Simeon and Anna and not be derailed by wrong expectations about life for the world, then we have to be biblically grounded. And although no scripture is quoted by Anna or Simeon in this, you can see a clear influence of the word of God in their lives. Let's, let's look in 29 to 32 where, where Simeon gives the blessing. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And it might be hard to see here because this passage, it is so dense with references to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And as we were looking into this, Nathaniel, he found seven separate Isaiah passages that are referenced in those four verses. And in those four verses, there are tie-ins to major biblical themes like light and glory and salvation and righteousness and a plan for the Jews and the Gentiles. It is rich with scripture. And Simeon clearly was reading the Bible. He clearly knew what the word said for him personally and the world communally. And he held to that. And it's only in the unchanging and infallible word of God that we should rest our expectations. The only way to do that, though, is to spend time with God reading it and studying it. So the first trait of God, the expectations, is that it influences the way that we live. The next one is that it is based on the word of God. And lastly, God, the expectations give us a hope that will never fade. Look in 34 and 35 with me. It says, And Simeon blessed them, and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And, I, and, and a sword will pierce through your own soul as well, so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. I want to focus on two phrases he said there. First, uh, the fall and rising of many in Israel. See, the Israelites, they were looking for that conquering king, right? They were expecting that person to come in and establish Israel as a nation again. And it didn't happen that way. And, and the people who uh, understood Christ as the Messiah, understood that instead of the conquering king, they got the sacrificial servant. The people that understood that, they were able to see clearly what God was doing and they were able to walk with him and, and they didn't miss out on what was happening. But the ones who didn't believe, they missed out on what God was doing. They missed it. So because of that, he, there was a a divide because of Jesus. And then secondly, it says hearts will be revealed. And I think that's for you and me. I think that's for you and me, right? When, when my parents were first married, um, my dad was talking to his father-in-law, my grandpa, about God. And my grandpa said, you know, Ronnie, I am my own God. 
And about 15 years later into my parents' marriage, my, my grandpa came in to my dad's office and he said, you know, Ron, there may be something to this whole God thing. <laughs> and then about 15 years later, a couple months before he passed away, my dad said, how are you doing with this whole God thing? And my grandpa said this. He said, well, I believe. My dad said, what do you believe? And he said, I believe that I'm a sinner and that God sent Jesus to die for my sins and I believe he is my savior. Yeah, yeah, we can, that is beautiful. That is, that is the heart of Christ right there because he claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. The hope that we have in Jesus is that every single person in this room has looked at God at one point in our lives and said, I am my own God. We all have done that and yet Jesus, in the moment that we were cursing his name, came to earth as a baby lived a perfect life, and died on the cross for our sins. And now because of that, we have the hope. It is an inheritance that cannot fade. It will not be taken away. There is nothing that can happen on this earth to remove us from the hand of our God. And we are his. And because of that, I'm going to see my grandpa again. We have a hope to live and do what we were created to do, which is worship God and be in his presence forever. And we have this hope because of Jesus. This is a hope that is based on the word of God. It comes directly from what it says about our eternity that in turn is going to change the way that we live. Because if we truly expect to be before God one day and see him face to face one day, then we will want as many people to know about that as possible. The reason why we want everyone to know him here at Shelter Cove is because we have a hope that we want to share with the rest of the world. So let's take a look at this past year. And then let's take a look at what's to come. My question for you first is, where were your expectations in 2021? Where were they? Maybe 2020? I don't know. Let's just go in the past. Where were your expectations? Were they in the government? Were they in yourself? Maybe you claimed, I am my own God. For your friends, social media, what, what were you expecting in, in the past? And, and here's my challenge for you now, is that regardless of where you put your expectations in the past, here's my challenge for everybody in the room today, is that will you live your life the way that Anna lived hers, with godly routines? And then as you live with godly routines, would you let your, the Holy Spirit do his work inside of you and let your character shine through like Simeon? And as you live righteously and devoted to the Lord, will you put your hope in him, knowing that no matter what it is that we put our hope in, Jesus is better. And all of those things will fade. There is nothing as secure as keeping our expectations on the Lord. Because godly expectations are always, always met. Let's pray together. Jesus, I, would, you, would you draw out 
the expectations, the, the hopes, the, the fears, the dreams, all of the things that are not from you, God. Would you, would you remove those things from us in the name of Jesus? And God, would you fill us with, with your expectations of what your word says? And then God, let that drive every part of who we are so that more people will know you and they will know about your great love for them. Help us, God, to stay focused on your expectations and what you want to do. I pray this in your name. Amen.